Hey everybody, Sean McMahon here. This is going to be a quick one. Oh yeah, please like and subscribe and all those things. I always forget if I don't write it down, but please do that. <laughs> uh, this is in a response to user Aldarions9, who left a great comment on uh, Full Preterist Eschatology 101 video. If you haven't checked it out, go check it out. It's one of my first uh, study videos on eschatology. His objection that he raises is, quote, this generation, he's talking about Matthew 24, this generation shall not pass away until all these things are fulfilled. Uh, the user says, this generation didn't mean the first century generation. It's about the generation that sees all the Matthew 24 signs once the gospel has been preached in all the world and then the end comes. The gospel was not preached in all the world in the first century, end quote. So that's an interesting objection because he's saying this generation didn't mean the first century generation. And then he says it's about the generation that sees all the Matthew 24 signs. So he's assuming that the first century folks didn't see the Matthew 24 signs. Uh, of course they did, and church fathers recorded this information. But let's dive into it, because he also said the gospel was not preached in all the world in the first century. That's incorrect, and that seems to not just be a church history misunderstanding that a lot of people have, but also it's kind of a, a, a misreading of the Bible. Maybe he overlooks something, and many people do, so I'm not trying to pick on this guy. I just thought this be uh, an excellent opportunity to, to talk a little bit about these objections that we run into sometimes. First of all, was the gospel preached throughout the whole world? Well, yes, actually, it was. This is recorded both by church historians and the Bible. The gospel was preached throughout the whole inhabited world before the end of the first century. Did you not know that the apostles accomplished this? I mean, that's an important thing. If you're a Christian, you should know this. I wish more Christians today would give the apostles their due credit uh, as the church gave them in ages past. I mean, you remember John Lennon said, Jesus Christ was all right, but his apostles were daft. This seems to be a pervasive attitude, even amongst Christians, definitely Protestants. Um, even some Catholics kind of don't get just how effective and saintly the apostles were. And it seems, frankly, that maybe the history isn't being taught about this. St. Andrew went to Russia. St. Matthias, who was the replacement of, of Judas, he preached in Africa along with St. Mark. Uh, St. Thomas went as far as China, and of course St. Paul covered much of the Mediterranean and of course Europe. The gospel was in the British Isles and Ireland before the days of St. Patrick, thanks to St. Paul, along with Joseph of Arimathea and St. Simon the Canaanite, a.k.a. Simon the Zealot. Uh, this is all recorded by church historians, so I'm not some hoodoo guy just making wild claims. This is just stuff I've read. It's all out there. This is old material if you really want to learn about it. It's all out there. But even uh, without this material, you should be able to find this in your Bible because, of course, uh, St. Paul wrote it in his epistles. Just two quick examples. Uh, Colossians 1 verse 6, he says, The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. And later in the same chapter, in verse 23, he says, This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Okay, so St. Paul was martyred under Nero. Okay, that was in the first century. And he wrote these words, of course, before that, unless there's something we don't know. So there you go. Okay, and then the other objection, of course, is that Jesus, when he said, This generation shall not pass, etc., that this was somehow not the first century generation, that this applies only to people who see these specific signs. Well, let's talk about that. So first of all, you'll notice that in Matthew 23, when Jesus begins his discourse, he's pronouncing woes, seven woes of the days of the Lord upon who? 
the scribes and Pharisees, the hypocrites. And he says to them that he's going to send them prophets and wise men whom they would flog and persecute from town to town. Now tell me, are the scribes and Pharisees able to flog and persecute or even crucify anyone today? No, of course not, because they're dead. In fact, they died horrible deaths. According to Christ's pronouncement, the sentence of Gehenna that he talks about in Matthew 23. Of course, Gehenna was the place where bodies were burned, and that's just what happened to this generation. Their bodies were burned in the conflagration of Jerusalem in AD 70. And this, of course, was how the siege of Jerusalem basically ended. Now, Jesus said this would come upon all of their heads. And, and by the way, this is the generation, he talks about this generation a lot. He's very specific about who it is. He calls them a generation of vipers in Matthew 12, 34. Of course, if you're reading on into Matthew 24, Jesus said that the sign of the culmination of all these events that this generation would see, right, would be the abomination of desolation in the temple. And guess what? Many church fathers confirmed that this happened in the first century. Check out Eusebius' church history in chapter 5, for instance. He says, at last, during the siege of Jerusalem, uh, led by Titus, at last the abomination of desolation proclaimed by the prophets stood in the very temple of God. And of course, there's St. John Chrysostom, who actually did a homily on Matthew 24. And he says in this homily, it seems to me that the abomination of desolation means the army by which the holy city of Jerusalem was made desolate. So there's many examples like this. If anyone's interested in getting a, a little collection of some of these uh, preterist quotations by the church fathers, just hit me up. Uh, I have a list that someone gave to me. But anyway, that's just the tip of the iceberg for some of the arguments against these objections. It just seems, frankly, like church history isn't being taught, that people don't know just how immense this event was in the first century. But more importantly, it seems like Maybe people aren't coming to the Bible with an open mind. It seems like maybe sometimes people are coming to the Bible with preconceived notions, perhaps molded by their denomination and the teachings that they're getting from their pastor. And of course, uh, I'm very sympathetic to that. We all should be. We all want to be listening to our leaders, to our shepherds in the church. As a Catholic, of course, I might, some would say, be going against the grain of Catholic eschatology, which I don't believe is the case. And I, I intend to make a video about that shortly, because frankly, of course, all the church fathers that I reference are canonized saints in the Catholic Church. There is quite a wide variety of eschatologies in the Catholic Church, and some of them actually are Currently, the modern ones are very influenced by Protestant eschatology, so we're all, we're all connected, more connected than we give each other credit for being sometimes. You know, we should all strive for unity in the body of Christ, and if we're all believers in Christ, we should try to obey him and honor his prayer that we may all be one. So, you know, these, these discussions are all in the spirit of being ecumenical. Uh, I'm a student. I'm not a teacher. I'm just sharing what I've learned. Uh, and I'm always open to being corrected. If you've been corrected by this video, uh, I'm humbled by that. At any rate, let's just keep having these conversations in humility. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate all your comments. I try to get to all of them when I can. I have a quiet moment at home right now, so here we are. But God bless you. Thank you very much for listening. Talk soon. No
fingers dancing on my guitar. 